During this communion season, we have been thinking together about the way in which we should come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So, on Wednesday, on Wednesday evening at our pre-communion, we thought about the need that there is for us to look in. We considered that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 where the Apostle Paul talks about the need for us to examine ourselves to see if we're coming to take the sacrament in a worthy manner. And what we were reminded of as we looked at that passage together, and it's such a key thing, is that when we come to the table of grace, we come as sinners. We certainly don't come as perfect people because the whole point of what we are doing is reminding ourselves that we're in need of the forgiveness and the salvation that was won by Christ at the cross. We are so much in need of that because we are sinful people. But the key thing that we discovered is that we are to come to this table. We are to approach that sacrament as repentant sinners. Sinners who are aware of our sin, who will do whatever it takes in God's strength to do away with persistent sin in our lives, who, who care about sin and seek to eradicate sin with the help of the Lord. We need to look in. And then earlier today, when we enjoyed that sacrament, as we heard from God's Word, we thought about the need that there is to look back. And we considered those passages side by side, Ephesians 2 and Romans chapter 5, and we remembered that when we come to communion, it's a time to look back at what our life was like before Christ. And we remember that terrible reality that before we knew the Lord Jesus, as Paul points out in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. That is serious stuff. That is the bad news that makes the good news of the gospel so good. And so there's that need to look back as well at God's electing love, because remember that God had you in mind, believer in Christ, God had you in mind before this world existed. And there's a need for us to look back at the cross of Christ and to remember that Christ died for sinners like us. But there's one final part to what we ought to do in a communion season like this, and that is to look forward. And a big cause for rejoicing, a major cause for thanksgiving, is the future that the Lord has secured for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a need for us to look ahead as believers in Christ and see how eternity will be for those who are in Christ. And so, to do that tonight for a while, let's turn together in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I see many Bibles already open, and that is great, because this is an amazing chapter that talks about the reality of Christ's resurrection and how those who trust in Him will share in that resurrection. And as Paul writes this chapter, he highlights another problem that existed in this church in Corinth. It seems to be a church that had a lot of problems. We were thinking about some of those 
on Wednesday evening. But here was another problem. Here was a group that existed within that congregation. Paul calls them out in verse 12. If you look at that verse again, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's not that this group within the church was denying the idea of life after death, but very specifically, they were denying the doctrine of a bodily resurrection. And this wrong kind of thinking probably came about because of the influences around them. Remember the society that they were part of? They lived in Corinth, which was a notoriously pagan city, a city that prided itself on its philosophical tradition, and Greek philosophy was the order of the day. And what these people were saying about life after death owed much more to Greek philosophy than to the gospel. And that's what Paul was challenging and is challenging all the way through this incredible chapter of Scripture. And that's why he insists in verse 20, if you look at that verse again, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And I would argue that that verse is the central verse in this most remarkable of chapters. Paul says something there that should thrill every single Christian believer here tonight, that Christ has been risen from the dead, and we say praise God as we think about that, and because He has, you will too. That's the gospel, that is the good news that Paul is proclaiming here in this passage. And to make this vital point that we who have trusted in Christ will share in His resurrection, Paul gives us a picture of the Lord Jesus as being the first fruits. He says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean? What is this, this picture? What is this term, the first fruits? Well, maybe I can explain it like this. I don't know if it's uh, uh, right or not to kind of tove up your wife and say how good she is at something, but my wife, Belle-Anne, is a really good cook. And sometimes she really spoils me by giving me a preview of what we're going to eat. That happened a few weeks ago. Remember when David Moore was here? And David and his wife, Elaine, and our Andrew and Tony, the, the core team for that church plant in West Belfast, came back to the manse. So this was a real manse Sunday lunch special. You know, visitors there the, the kind of good table used in the dining room. It was the, the, the full works. And when I arrived in from church and came into the kitchen to help Belle-Anne, just let me point that out. When I came in, Belle-Anne gave me a little end bit of the beef. And she just said, try that. And it tasted amazing. And if you like, that was the foretaste that was the preview of what was about to come, a lovely full Sunday dinner. And the first fruits, they were, as the name implies, they were the first part of the crop. 
They were, if you like, the preview. They were the foretaste of what was to come, so that in Jewish culture, the first bit of the crop, whether that was olives or grapes or wheat or, or figs, that was offered to God, and it was celebrated by the people because it guaranteed that the rest of the crop was coming. There's more. There's more from where this, this comes from. So, now can you see why the Lord Jesus is described by the Apostle Paul as the first fruits here in verse 20? He is the firstborn among the dead that guarantees that all His people will be resurrected as well. And so, if we're really specific about this tonight, and we're not often that specific about, if you like, the mechanics of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but what a a great source of hope for us, that as blood coursed through the body of Jesus once again, as, as His lungs were inflated once again with air, that that is the great guarantee of all that lies ahead for His people. So, tonight for us, what comfort there is in that when we think about our failing broken bodies. And we all, you know, talk about that at times. Oh, you know, this is going wrong, and that's not working right. That's what it's like in this fallen world. And so, having described Jesus as the first fruits, Paul then explains how it is that Jesus leads the way. If you look at verses 21 and 22, he says, for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And if you're looking carefully at those verses, particularly verse 22, the final sentence on the screen, the first thing that you may wonder about, the first question that you might have, well, is Paul really saying here that all people will be saved, that all people will share in the resurrection. Because after all, in verse 22, he's saying that all die, and then he's saying all will be made alive. So, we've got to understand that. We know that all of us, all of us here tonight and all of us in this world are ultimately descended from Adam. And because we descend from Adam, we, we share in His sin, and we share in the effects of that fall into sin. That's why death is unavoidable. Death is something that every single person in this world is subject to. We know that. But who are the all that Paul goes on to talk about in relation to Christ and His resurrection? The important thing to understand is that that is not all people. It is not everyone who has ever lived, but it's all who are related to Christ through faith, because we need to read on in verse 23, and we'll come to this verse in a moment. But for now, if you look on at verse 23, Paul refers to the all as being those who belong to Him, that is Christ. And that goes against what we often hear when people die. You know, in the, the nature of my job, and all our pastors here tonight will 
will understand this well. Maybe more than your average person, we as ministers are in among people at a time of death. And there is always that vague talk of a better place. And there's always that assumption that that is an automatic thing. That's a given. That person has gone to be in a better place. But that is not the case. And so, outside of Christ, there is no hope and there is no future. And that makes all the reason for great thanksgiving for those who are in Christ as we contemplate that, yes, we were dead in our transgressions and we have been made alive in Christ. So, when will all of this happen? Well, it's important to see that Paul does not give us an exact timetable because that is a a timetable that is decided by the Lord Himself. But He does explain to us the sequence of events. And so, now we move on to verse 23, and he, he describes it like this, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. So, we can say that Christ leads the way for His people. The bodily resurrection of His believers will happen at the point of His return. We do not know when that return will happen, but we know that it will happen because Christ has promised it in His Word. And so, to seek to try and understand this, we believe that the soul of a believer in Christ comes immediately into God's presence at the point of death. What a wonderful truth. But the receiving of our resurrection body will be a future event and will happen at the same time to all of those who have died in Christ. And Paul stresses that that is not actually the full story, that this resurrection of those who are in Christ will just be the the beginning of what the Lord will finally do. If you scan down through verses 24 to 28, they are verses that spell out what Christ will finally achieve. That at this point, the Lord Jesus will have destroyed all opposition to His reign in the universe, both demonic and human, verses 24 and 25. In verse 26, Paul says that Christ will finally destroy our great enemy death so that God's people will never face it again and will have nothing to fear for all eternity. And that really is wonderful news for us to hear in a world that fears death so much. And tonight, these are the truths that give us such wonderful hope in what feels like a really hopeless world. And here's what all of this means for us. Here is what it means for you, believer in Christ, who has enjoyed meeting with the Lord and with His people today around this table. This means that Christ leads the way. 
because His bodily resurrection has taken place. Ours still lies ahead in the future. And that means that we find ourselves in a period of waiting, but we do not wait with concern and doubt. Instead, we wait with great certainty and excitement because Christ's resurrection is the wonderful guarantee of what is to come. And I wonder, do you really believe that? I was mentioning this morning to the kids of my love of history, and one of the the periods of history that I guess fascinates me most is the Second World War. And, And you will know that the Second World War lasted from 1939 to 1945. But do you know when the great wartime Prime Minister Churchill realized that the war had been won by Great Britain and by the Allies? He came to understand that as early as December 1941, because that was the point when the Americans entered the war, and that tipped the whole balance. It changed everything. And he wrote of that day, so we had won after all. We had won the war. No doubt it would take a long time. Many disasters, a measurable cost and tribulation lay ahead, but there was no more doubt about the end. And he adds this bit, and I want you to hear this. I went to bed, speaking of that night, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and thankful. In this world of trouble, in this world of stress and uncertainty, and we all face or share of those things, believer in Christ, sleep well tonight. Sleep the sleep of the saved and thankful. For in Christ, the victory is won. In Christ, you are on the winning side. He leads the way. And while, yes, there may be real heartache, and I know and do not minimize that heartache in the lives of many people in our church family, there is no more doubt about the end. And that's something that we can say amen to tonight. Folks, this changes everything. Listen to those verses again. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when He comes, those who belong to Him, people, this is the hope of the resurrection. It not only proves God's power, but it's something that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will share in. And so tonight, let's make sure as we come towards the end that we understand this good news. Who will find this resurrection life in Christ? Well, Paul is clear in verse 23, those who belong to Him, that is Christ. 
And I want you to be sure of that so that just in case tonight there are those who are here who are not yet trusting in Christ, who have not come to put your faith in Christ. And what I have to tell you is that apart from Christ, there is no good news. I can offer you no hope, no peace, no future. So, in this communion season, as we have come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been glad to remember what He has done for us and what that secures for us past and present and future. You see, the gospel is far more comprehensive than we can ever truly imagine. Through the death of Jesus, we belong to Him, and through the resurrection of Jesus, He leads the way for us into an eternity that is spent in His Father's presence. I can be an anxious traveler. In fact, anxiety at times keeps me from going to certain places and doing certain things. But what makes a difference is when I go on a journey led by someone who knows the way. That changes everything. And death is something that so many people in our society and in our world fear. But what makes all the difference for the believer in Christ is that our Savior Jesus, who is the first fruits, He has led the way. And so tonight we can say with the Apostle Paul, world death is your victory. World death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.